we're back with the tech policy grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. For the past couple of months, I was living in New York City. I'm an almost lifelong Californian, where the summer is the time that we take things easy. But if there's one thing I learned about the East Coast, it's that they love a happy hour. And that's especially true for the tech policy community. All Tech is Human is one organization that runs a lot of these happy hour timed events in New York City, and I've been to quite a few of them this summer. So I sat down with David Bryden Polgar, All Tech is Human's founder. All Tech is Human is a nonprofit that's really active in the space of responsible tech. And David and I chat about what responsible tech is and how to build a community around it. Then, Lemma and I come to you live from the last All Tech is Human Mixer held in New York last week, where we chatted with a few people there about what the responsible tech community means to them. Enjoy. Thank you so much, David, for being here. I'm really excited to chat with you today all about All Tech is Human and the responsible tech community that you've been working to cultivate. So I want to just dive right in. You're the founder of All Tech is Human. Mm-hmm. You're a writer and a speaker on tech ethics, and you've been doing work in this space for a while. So I want to start by going back to your beginnings. Okay. How did you get into the space? Rima, first off, thank you for having me. Uh, thrilled to kind of have this time and, and space to discuss what we're, what we're trying to build here at All Tech is Human. And then to your question, about how I got into this space. I feel like that there's always an origin story for everyone. Like it's, a, it's like a Marvel origin story. But for me, uh, comparatively speaking, I got in uh, pretty early. This would be around 2012. I was doing a lot of writing and speaking around how technology was really affecting us on this really deeper level. It's affecting how we live, love, learn, even die, especially in light of the rise of social media, which was frankly disrupting so much of our communication, so much of how we went about our job, uh, how we, you know, found other people to hang out with, to date, how we found information. It was quite a, quite a change. And uh, I always just saw, because at this this point in time, uh, background as an attorney and, and educator, and I always just looked at technology as the prism that every single field was was going through. So I got to say, uh, in something you might appreciate, at the time, you know, over over ten years ago. Uh, people were looking at me kind of funny. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why Why is somebody who has a background as an attorney getting involved in, you know, the impacts of social media? To me, it seemed plainly obvious. It just wasn't obvious to a lot of people at the time because, frankly, there was not 
this space. There, there weren't the job titles as there, there are today around uh, tech ethicist or you know, responsible AI practitioner, the rise of the trust and safety field as, as, you know, as a profession. Uh, that was very, very nascent at the time. But for me, I was just looking at, you know, the rise of Facebook and and how that was altering just every aspect of law. Uh, and it was just mind blowing. And I thought, wow, like technology is such a transformative force. We need to really actively consider how it's doing this, right? How we're creating kind of guardrails and norms of behavior so, so much of what's happening in this growing field of responsible tech that encompasses areas like trust and safety, tech and democracy, youth tech well-being, responsible AI, is that we have looked at this to say, we need to just think about the significance that this is a social technical system that all of the technology and all these platforms that we we are creating, if you're thinking about social media, they're not divorced from the social systems. So a lot of my life over the last uh, decade or so has really been about showcasing the need for problem finders as opposed to over-indexing, which I argue that we definitely have done on the quote-unquote problem solvers. Absolutely. And I want to touch on these words of responsible tech and Mm -hmm. why they sort of stand out to you as this sort of all-encompassing universe of this space. Like why is responsible tech the foundation? And sort of on those lines, what's at stake if we don't create responsible tech. Yeah. Well, what's at stake is irresponsible tech. So by its very extension, we are always at a crossroads in life where our future can go multiple different directions. And we always want to create the future that is best aligned with the consensus of values, right? And I think that's why responsible tech is is so important and so important to 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 me and so many so important to so many of the individuals that i that i interact with and one of the reasons why we have utilized responsible tech as a larger umbrella term right because if you analyze all tech as human you say oh well okay like i can see a theme here they have a responsible tech guide responsible tech summit responsible tech mixers responsible tech job board right there's a key key phrase phrase there that's also a recognition that oftentimes in life people need a uh, identification and they need a term that can be rallied around in order to find the others, right? So I oftentimes use this phrase, find the others, uh, which which goes to, uh, and it's credited to Douglas Rushkoff from his book, uh, Team Human, where he argues that that's one of the problems in life is that we use all these different terms. So we might have so many people that are part of our community that we should be interacting with and collaborating with, but because we're speaking a subtly different language, 
We can't find them. The idea really is one of the things I've noticed in life is that you have effectively like three camps of people right now, right? You have about like, what's our relationship as humans with technology, right? So you you have the the crowd that I would disagree with, but there's a big part of the crowd and, and frankly, a lot of Silicon Valley is this subscribes to this idea that the future just naturally unravels and that we're oftentimes reacting to this very unraveling of, of history, of our technology history. So for example, last year when the metaverse was incredibly hyped up, but as we know today, God, most of that has fallen flat and has been really wildly unsuccessful. I, most of that argument was around, hey, this is just the way that the future is going. It doesn't matter if you agree or disagree. It doesn't matter if you even want to put a headset on. You are going to have a headset on in the future. And if you analyze our recent Super Bowl, uh, when you had the hype of crypto, which then in the next Super Bowl would <laughs> zero crypto ads shows you how quickly people kind of caught on to uh, you know the the, the grifter kind of part that that you know is part of a lot of hype cycles. There was a, a infamous commercial now with Larry David, and Larry David now is being sued over this, as are a lot of celebrities who promoted crypto. In that commercial, and you probably remember it the audience is effectively being told, don't be this outdated Luddite. Because in the commercial, like Larry David's characters throughout history, thinking, well, I wouldn't recognize plumbing as a good idea. I wouldn't recognize electricity as a good idea, right? So we're told, it doesn't matter if you understand crypto or not. It's just a thing that is happening, whether you like it or not. So you can either get on board or you can watch history move past you and you can become outdated and irrelevant. That's the marketing signal that they are trying to send. So that camp, I I would say I disagree with. Uh, There's also the smaller camp, but there's the transhumanist kind of group. And that would say, hey, technology is just just, kind of like naturally on our line of evolution. Therefore, we're going to eventually kind of like merge in some form with with our technology. Therefore, it's just kind of part of us. Okay, well, I'm not a transhumanist. I'm on team human. (laughs) So as a quote, uh, Rushkoff. What I believe and what we're trying to put out with All Tech is Human, which I think the name, because it's very kind of like, uh, it's almost like a fortune cookie where it's just trying to concise. Uh, it attracts, I believe, a crowd that is looking at technology as something we either create guardrails around or don't. We either create new laws or we don't find the will as society to come together and do it. So our tech future is determined by our human agency, by the education that we create, by the jobs that we create, by the people we get to put into those jobs, right? So all tech is human is really based on this idea that this is our moment to come together, to create new laws, 
to create new jobs, to actively think about ways that our tech future is aligned with our values and that entails more participation. It's really viewing this through the lens of, of civic participation, that if you're impacted by technology, you should have a voice in how it's created. Well, you would recognize this from even thinking about like the Boston Tea Party and this idea of no taxation without representation, right? That's why I use the line, uh, you know, no application without representation as kind of a play on that, which is also uh, kind of a, a, a tangent from not about us without us, which has hundreds of years of, of history in this idea of, uh, you know, the rise of democracy over human history, that we, the people, have the right and responsibility to determine our destiny. I mean, that's what democracy at large is about. And I think that a lot of people, whether they can describe it or not, are recognizing that technology is impacting so much of their life, right? How they see the world, who they vote for, their happiness, their sadness, um, who they date. And they're recognizing, wait a minute, that's, that's my trajectory in life. You know, that's, that's something that I need to have free will over and I need to have control over it. I want to dig into what Alltech is human's role is within this whole ecosystem and sort of the activities and programs that Alltech as Human has launched sort of in response to uh, these issues. Yeah. When we look at all of our activities, and I will say that's always been a struggle is that uh, we're trying to learn from the ecosystem while also influencing it and, and cultivating it at the same time. The main theory of change is that by having a stronger responsible tech movement, this global multi-stakeholder multidisciplinary network, we can better tackle wicked tech and society issues. And through this kind of agile uh, participatory type of framework, we can co-create this tech future that's aligned with these interests because we understand our interests, right? So we have bucketed our activities under three different kind of uh, categories. And those would be our multi-stakeholder convenings and community building, which is why we have our summits and our mixers and our Slack group. Uh, I think now of uh, over 5,000 members across 72 countries. So a lot of activity there. And then we also have our multidisciplinary education. And that's why we do our open working groups that release reports. Last year, we did four open work working groups and uh, that, that each release these reports. Those working groups are also going to be a uh, combination, and I mention this because it's, it's relatively unique. It combines the emerging with the established. So you'll have a college student who is now working together with somebody from the World Economic Forum or somebody from Aspen or somebody from Harvard Berkman Klein Center or Oxford Internet Institute. That is extremely rare. Because I'll say, even just from my own career, it's like you are constantly moving up this like chain, right? And uh, you you have to get pretty far along in your career before one of these kind of uh, you know 
well-known organization says, hey, well, we want you on your a working group and this and that. So I always viewed it as important to speed up this very system and then also really provide pathways for new voices to come into this, this moment. Uh, and that's why we do, we do these. And that's also why we do things like our, our mentorship program and, and, and things of that nature. So the first two categories, like I said, multidisciplinary uh, education and also the multi-stakeholder convening community building. Our last one is really around our career services, if you will. And the idea there is that we need to diversify this traditional tech pipeline with more backgrounds, disciplines, perspectives, lived experiences. And the reason why we do that is because we can build a better tech future by having better people involved in the process. In other words, so many people have, uh, you know, emailed me or ping me on Slack or things like that to say, like, I want to get involved in this conversation, but I don't think I belong. So you have a little bit of what you want to call imposter syndrome or things like that. But you also have this idea that the average person doesn't know all the different backgrounds that are that are in this space. I mean, one of the biggest uh, takeaways that I've had by just all these interviews, because we've interviewed, uh, you know, over 500 people kind of in this in space through our reports and through our summits. And it's extremely common for somebody to think that they're uncommon. Before we continue with the rest of the episode, here's a report directly from one of all Tech is Humans in-person events last week in New York City. We chatted with a couple participants at the Mixer about how they value the community. We are live at the All Tech is Human Responsible Tech Mixer, and we're talking to the community today about what brought them here and what they're excited about or fearful in the future. So, Bobby, welcome. Please talk to us about why you're here today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my name is Bobby. Uh, I've been involved with uh, All Tech is Human since like 2021, maybe even a little bit before then. I was a responsible tech university ambassador for All Tech is Human when I was in grad school at Northeastern. My undergrad was in the humanities and social sciences, but then I did Northeastern's master's degree in tech. And then I um, was a, I found All Tech is Human and I've been going to like their mixers, both virtual and like in person ever since. So this is like maybe like one of a dozen in that I've been to. Um, and this one was really inspiring. And I work, uh, I do tech for the city. I was feeling kind of frustrated like at my job today just because of like logistical stuff that happened. So I felt really inspired. I came in feeling frustrated and I, I'm leaving feeling like really inspired and re-motivated to like go back to work and keep pushing. So awesome. Thank you for sharing. Okay, cool. Anna? Uh, hi, I'm Anna Kat, and I'm so excited to be on uh, all Tigers Human Organization uh, panel discussions for the first time. And all the panelists were so inspiring. And especially for me, as I'm running a visual communication agency, and we are focusing on working with startups, value-driven and social-oriented. And I'm looking mostly for um, collaboration with such small uh, um, uh, communities as all Tigers Human. Awesome. Emily? Hello, I am Emily Gilchrist, the founder of Vital Thought Critical Insight Platform. And we specialize in culture, 
contemporary thought and tech ethics and the social spaces and professional spaces that are being built by all tech is human have really enriched everything that I'm working on, everything I'm trying to build, and I'm very grateful for the work happening in this very exciting space. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for sharing. And that's it. Thanks, y'all. Now back to the interview. I remember this one podcast interview with uh, Yoav Schlesinger and, and Ramon Chowdhury where uh, you have said, hey, you know, I have a very kind of like a nonlinear career path. And that, that term really stuck in my brain. I thought, wow. But then I started noticing that so many people who are speaking with us said, well, geez, you know, I'm, I'm a real kind of strange unicorn here. I'm a really atypical because, you know, I, I, I went to law school and then, and then I was working at the, you know, the Obama White House. And then, and then all of a sudden, this, uh, you know, this startup uh, contacted me and I started working there. And, th- and then all of a sudden I thought I could change something inside of a larger tech company. And, oh, you know, it's, it's, my career is all over the place. But then you start recognizing, well, wait a minute. Maybe what you view as an atypical nonlinear journey is in fact the very added value of having a appreciation and a more holistic understanding of the interconnectivity of these different disciplines, of these different sectors, of understanding impacts. That, I would argue, is, is this whole different career path that, it, that is happening. So that's why we do our job board, our mentorship program. So, so right now we have over 100 mentors, over 300 mentees in this current cohort. Uh, and then also launching a talent pool. We have over 1,400 people there. And then we also just uh, launched something called Techalo. If you go to techalo.org, uh, that's a project with uh, Schmidt Futures around matching technologists with social impact roles and nonprofits uh, here in the United States. So those are our activities. Uh, but I, I got to say, the main thing that I've recognized with it is that what it allows for is multiple touch points. So that's really the, the secret sauce of All Tech is Human is that it's not like you just go to an event and say, wow, that was really cool. Because you, if, you, if that was your entry point, if you went to this gathering, well, then maybe now you join Slack and then maybe through Slack, you, you connect with people around a certain kind of issue. And then maybe when you're traveling to another location, maybe there's something like you're in the Bay Area. Well, now you see there's this Bay Area kind of community right there. Now you have people that you you have coffee with as soon as you're there. You're there, right? So you have this like scaffolding around your career. And that's really important. And then that person might say, okay, now I joined the working group, but now I'm creating a report. So that's beefing up their CV, right? So this is really kind of crucial is that what we always found or what I always found early on with All Tech is Human is that people are always very interested, but they're also very frustrated by not having clear pathways into the system. And one of the observations that I've always uh, been obsessed with is that you know people don't know what they don't know. And that oftentimes people who are already inside of a system they are not recognizing the difficulty of how hard it is to understand the system and to even get inside of it because they assume 
right? That the world is what they're surrounded with. So if people don't know about it, then then they must not be interested. As opposed to recognizing that there, there were all these people, and this is what we're always trying to work on. There's all these people who are feeling like they're on the outside looking in, and they're really frustrated by that because they might they might have just watched a movie. Maybe they watched Code of Bias or Social Dilemma, and they read a book by Kathy O'Neill or Ruha Benjamin or Meredith Broussard, and they get inspired, and they say, my God, I want to do something. This is my calling. This, this is values aligned. This is important in life. This is dynamic. I'll never be bored. Like it's, so it's intellectually stimulating, right? But then what happens is they say, okay, now where do I go? You know, who's going to accept me into their club? So, so much of All Tech is Human is is really about a uh, what you call like an open or big tent strategy, right? It's about sending a bat signal that all voices are not only welcome, but also desired because that's how we're going to improve the very system. So I want to get into a little bit about community building and location and geography. And All Tech is Human, you've said at some of these convening points before, is we're based in New York, but convenings happen sort of all over the place. So why New York as sort of the HQ for All Tech is Human? There's a very good reason why New York. And I will say even during COVID, that's when I moved full time to uh, Manhattan. So I live right below the, the UN. So in the thick of things. I used to live in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. And New York always drew me in. Like, frankly, it draws in millions of people because it is a place unlike most every other city in the sense that so many ideas are just constantly having this interplay. New York is an amalgamation of so many different power structures that it effectively means that they all kind of cancel each other out. And that's actually a beautiful, rare, very, very beneficial to community building uh, and just awareness in general. There is a very distinct reason why so many cultural moments, music trends, uh, comedy, or just like uh, so much, or writing, so much comes together in a place that has arts and universities, and it has just like inspiration, that's really why uh, New York makes a lot of sense. When you when you compare and contrast some some communities, they they have such a large presence of like one industry. So in the Bay Area, right, tech looms large, and I would argue that that becomes problematic because you wouldn't have the diverse. Uh, diversity of ideas that naturally come together to kind of interrogate a system. 
So if you, you know, if you're having something in San Francisco, like you, you have a lot of people who are going to show up and they, Hey, I've got a startup. And then maybe some of some VCs and some larger tech companies. Whereas when you do something in New York, it's quite fascinating as you well know. And it's also different because you, you, you certainly know, uh, DC. So DC is going to be a heck of a lot wonkier than New York. People really love getting into minutia, uh, so that has, they all have extreme value. But in New York, it's quite fascinating because you, you could have a gathering and then you just start talking to everybody and you're just like, okay, well, you know, I talked to an activist and then I talked to an academic and then I talked to an author and then some, some billionaire walked in. And then, oh, wait, I was chatting with somebody from like New York Times. So, wow, that's, that's quite quite a cocktail party, right? Like that is actually the mix that you need to have because you need to have media scrutiny. You need to have the influx of uh, workers, right? And in New York City is number two in North America for, for, uh, you know, for tech jobs, tech creation. So it's not totally like random. We're not picking, you know, something kind of like, uh, you know, more uh, off the uh, the beaten path in terms of like what's been done previously. Uh, and I will say like that's that's something that, uh, you know, I really enjoy from like our, our gatherings, our mixers is that the energy level is is something that can be, uh, you know, quite quite contagious uh, in the sense that, you know, people are recognizing that, uh, you know, there's change, you know, that that's happening. Change is afoot. We don't know always what direction it's going, but that good things happen when good people come together and we're creating a climate for that type of activity to, to happen. Yeah. And having gone to so many of these events in different cities, serendipitously enough, um, I definitely feel that sort of community environment that is sort of transcendent of whatever each city is particularly definitely. known for um, when at an all tech is human event. So and you seem to always be traveling, right? Because I think I've seen you uh, in, in San Francisco and in D.C. and in New York, you know? So I, I'm like, Rima, like you're, you're always on the road. <laughs> always globetrotting. But that's, well, that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of fun. And always serendipitous if there happens to be uh, all tech is human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I plan to- them around your schedule. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> But I want to wrap us up um, and chat about what is up next for All Tech is Human for folks listening to excited about or get involved. A lot of different ways to get involved. Uh, Really, if you go to alltechishuman.org, you'll see all these different activities in our link tree, especially with all these different projects. September 14th, we have our large summit that's going to happen at the SVA Theater in New York, where I'm sitting, and that's uh, in collaboration with the Canadian Consulate, our third gathering with the uh, Canadian Consulate and government that's been highly kind of participatory. Also on October 25th, we have a gathering in Washington, D.C. at the uh, Australian Embassy uh, in DuPont Circle. And right around the time of that 
earlier summit that I mentioned on September 14th. We're going to have the release of our responsible tech guide, uh, which is right now being made with our working group of over 150 people. So if you want to get involved by joining our, our Slack group, attending our summits or our mixers, if you're in New York, we do gatherings for 200 people every month at Betaworks, which is in the meatpacking district. Uh, we're also in the near future going to have our next cohort for mentorship. And then we're going to have our uh, talent pool and more activities around that. So, so many different ways to get involved and also suggest your ideas, right? If you're like, wow, I wish you did a live stream on this topic. That's how these things happen. The, the power of suggestion, right? The idea that good things happen when the community comes together. We have such a um, powerful network that we can move at the speed attack. And I think that's the, the, the key part. Indeed. Well, that all sounds incredibly exciting. And I think that's a great place to leave it. So thank you so much, David. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Rima. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show. And this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Alison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.